0: Way. Why don't you guys get up on your feet, find somebody, and tell them good morning?
1: Good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. For those of you in this room, I know many of you are listening in your cars as you're traveling back in all that traffic. You shouldn't leave East Texas for Thanksgiving. What is the weirdest thing you ate over the holidays? Did anybody have anything unusual? Seriously? You guys are boring. Did anybody try deep fried turkey for the first time? First time. Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, it is good. You know, we tried it a few years back. We took a turkey over to Ralph and Cuckoo's and paid them to deep fry it, and uh, it, it was it was great. It's really good, it, and it's not good for you at all, which is good, too. But, but it just didn't smell up our house while we were watching the parade, you know. So anyway, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Welcome back. If you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, party pooper. It's the one day of the year that you can eat anything you want as much as you want, and your cardiologist will ignore it for the day. But uh, it looks like you all survived, and and we're glad you're here. We had a we had a phenomenal Agape feast. This room was packed. We had over 400 people here, and it was so much fun. And uh, I, uh, I I want to say I a special appreciation to those of you who watched the A&M game last night till three o'clock in the morning. I think there were 72 overtimes or something like that. And uh, but uh, what an exciting game! I wouldn't have known anything about it except everybody's talking about it on Facebook. So. You know, anyway, I hope you had a wonderful holiday. Welcome uh, welcome home. I do want to highlight a few things, so if you take your worship guide and open it up, let me let me uh, mention a few things that are upcoming. Lots of events and activities for the holiday season, and, and we want to make you aware of all of those. Um, we are going to be doing an Advent calendar through our Facebook page this year. It will start on December 1st, so make sure you have liked our Facebook page and uh, follow along as we give you scriptures and stuff like that. Oh! I wanted to thank you, all of you who participated also in Operation Christmas Child. This is a big deal. Um, And uh, with the community, um, Chastity oversaw it all, Overby and we appreciate her hard work, and Robert Grimes, our pastor of missions, assisted her. Uh, There were over – it tells us right here, uh, this area collected 11,295 boxes. That is a a lot of shoeboxes. Yes, you can – Celebrate that—that's a good thing. That's uh, 688 cartons, and we filled two uh, of those shorter trucks. Um, we had over 50 volunteers who spent 200 hours working with us on that. So I want to thank you for your hard work. One thing about you guys is you work for the Lord and the kingdom, and and uh, this is—it's—it's uh, it's one of those things that you hear the stories, but I'm just telling you to see these kids open those boxes and to hear the gospel and. And to get families in a room and see pastors be able to disciple people because of the relationships that are built, worth every penny of it, worth every moment, and I want to thank you for taking your time and doing that. Um, We will, of course, we'll do it again next year, and, and what a privilege to do that. So now we're in eating season, holiday season, celebration season. And we want you to celebrate the birth of our Lord. I already mentioned we're doing the uh, um, Advent calendar online this year. I know the kids will be taking, the children's ministry will be taking some home as well for their families. Uh, But there are other activities, lots of opportunities for you to get to know people, especially if you're new to Carpenter's Way. Um, This is fine, but it's a big old room, and we want to break it down into smaller groups. There is a ladies' gathering coming up on December 4th. Uh, there's an insert in there for you. That's not just for people who've been at Carpenter's Way for 45 years. We want you. We want you to go to that. That's a place to uh, a opportunity to make new relationships. You can, uh, as you leave here, straight across. There's a table with women's ministry information on it, and sign up there so that we have enough food. And and uh, if you need a ride, uh, if you're older and you don't like to drive at night, uh, there's a couple of us men who are willing to pick you up and deliver you there. So if you will let us know, we will definitely. Uh, take care of that need. Um, Also, Wednesday night, this normal church, we'll go back to normal this Wednesday night, so there'll be children's ministry and student ministry, but as for the adult ministry, both uh, Heather's Bible Study group, the women's Bible study, and my uh, Wednesday night Bible study group. This Wednesday night, we're going to bless the church by decorating it. We do it every year. It's called Deck the Halls, and we're doing a twist this year. We're going to finally do an event that, that the, and nobody else is going to do. We're gonna, we want you to bring a coo- uh, uh, your favorite cookie, your Christmas cookies. So we'll eat. Th- it isn't hard work. We just decorate this room in the entryway, and we'd love to have you participate. So if you've never been to Wednesday night Bible study, it's a really good time to start. So, uh, But that is this Wednesday night. Uh, otherwise, look at the information in there about upcoming things. Uh, Let's see what else I need. Um, Kip Havard, where are you? Kip, why don't you come up and make your announcement. So for the last few weeks, uh, we've been announcing in your worship guide, there's a love offering envelope, and every year we take up a love offering for our staff, and then we divide that out. We had originally announced that we would do it through the month of November. Uh, We're going to extend that for another week, so this week and then next Sunday, uh, if you guys could see, uh, take this out of your worship guide and see in your hearts to put some money in it for our staff. We use it just kind of as a as an end of the year way to love on our staff. Uh, so just want to give this as a reminder to you guys that we're going to be extending that out. And uh, now is the time to go ahead and do that because we're about to take up offerings. So if you guys could go ahead and put something in there, we'd appreciate it. I'm going to ask at this time our ushers to come forward as uh, we prepare for our offering. If you're visiting with us today, uh, just pass the place that comes by. This is the one part of our service that belongs to those of us who attend here regularly. Um, I did want to mention um, uh, that many of you know Johnny Mae Connor. Uh, she went to be with the Lord this past Friday. And uh, so uh, if you knew her, be praying for her family. Many of you know Woody and, and the rest of the family, and, and we want to be praying for them. They're have not. they meeting with the funeral home today, and the funeral will either be this week or next week. Just uh, pay attention. We'll put it on our Facebook page if you're interested in attending that. But uh, be praying for the family. She was a godly woman, very, very involved in Carpenter's Way since the beginning. And uh, we will miss her, but she is with the Lord, so good for her. Good for her. She's been very ill for years, and uh, we're just thankful that... Uh, the death sting has been removed. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we're thankful that we can gather together this morning, um, knowing that you have paid the price for our sin, coming to you this morning not out of desperation, but out of gratefulness. And uh, as we continue to sing songs this morning, as we give uh, financially, Lord, these are all ways of worship, and uh, they're ways that we thank you for what you have done for us. And Lord, um, as a church, you have privileged us the opportunity to participate across the globe with brothers and sisters who are missionaries. And and uh, even in this community, you have given us the opportunity to be a, participate personally uh, in things like Operation Christmas Child and discipling our own kids here at this church and our own adults. Lord, it is, a, it is a privilege to be your servant. And it is my prayer this morning that as we get into your word and we prepare to have communion around your table, that we would be keenly reminded, Lord Jesus, of all that you have done. May our lives be described as thankful. Father, we think of Woody and and Johnny May's family, that that you would give them peace this morning as they make arrangements to celebrate her life. And uh, Lord, I pray that they would feel the love from our church. And um, God, as uh, as we have a lot of folks who are traveling and coming back from vacations and going to get back into the routine of things after a wonderful week, we pray you keep them safe and Father, bring us back together this next week to celebrate you more. And Again, thank you for this morning. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You want to stand and worship with us?
2: came down from above and wrote a new story of his love. He became immortal. He wore flesh and Yes, you're
0: Father God Blessed be your name, O God. Blessed be. Yours is the glory forever. Amen.
1: Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh, we get very caught up as should be expected in the things of the world, in our senses, in our fears. And I thank you that as your children, we can trust in your wisdom, in your plan. We know that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so, Father, this morning, I would ask you to speak to us. I would ask as we uh, prepare for communion that uh, we would reflect on how we live, and what we live for, and what our goals are, and that you would begin the process of transforming the way we think, and therefore transforming the way we live from the inside out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, This morning I'd like to take some time off of our study in 1 Kings, and kind of share with you something that I've been thinking about the past few weeks, actually more like the past few months. I want to start with a story that's found in Steve Brown's book, A Scandalous Freedom. It's a story about Abraham Lincoln, who uh, the legacy is, and this is uh, I don't know if this is a true story or not, but the story goes that he went to a slave market before he became president. And as he entered the slave market, he noted a young, beautiful African-American woman that was being auctioned off to the highest bidder. He bid her, and he won. He could see the anger in the young woman's eyes as she looked at him. As he walked towards the stage to take her hand, he could imagine what she was thinking. There's another white man buying me, using me, and then eventually discarding me, selling me as another piece of property. As Lincoln took her off the stage and they started walking down the street with his property, with the papers in his hand, he turned to her quietly and said, You're free. You're free. The story goes that she looked at him and said, what does that mean? What does it mean to be free? To which Lincoln replied, it means you can say whatever you want to say. You can go wherever you want to go. You can do whatever you want to do. And she just stood there stunned. You bought me, and now you're setting me free? Yes, I am. You're telling me that I can go wherever I want to go. I can say Whatever I want to say, I can be whatever I want to be. And Mr. Lincoln looked at her, handed her the paper, and said, yes, honey, you can. To which she responded, then I want to go with you. And so it is with our salvation. We are eternally owned by our sin, indebted to it. We are born, according to David and Paul in the New Testament, we are born under God's wrath, Ephesians chapter 2. We are already condemned. Sin and its consequences own us. Until God sent his son, despite being the one offended by our sin and our nature, he sent his son to declare us clean by taking the penalty on himself. He paid a debt, as the song says, that he did not owe so that we could be free. In fact, in Galatians chapter 12, or Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it actually says that he set us free for the sake of freedom. That his his desire in sending Jesus was to set us free. The first 11 chapters of Romans basically lays that out, telling us that you can't earn your salvation, you can't be good enough, you can't be religious enough. And in chapter 12, after telling us how we become saved, he said, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you now to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the the kind he will find acceptable. This, This is truly the way to worship him. And by worshiping, he means praising and thanking him. You know, there's a lot of words we throw out in church in songs, and, and they're Hebrew words, they're Jewish thoughts, and we don't really talk about what they mean, but worshiping him means, means giving him his due. Uh, it, is, it is thanking him with our lives. Um, I've got a confession, and that's what I've been thinking about in recent weeks and months, maybe years I'm kind of unnerved by the fact that what God has done for me has become super normal. You know, uh, the gospel, the cross of Christ. I mean, it's all over our culture, too. You know, we've got women who wear it around their necks as jewelry, the cross. You know, even in music videos, people who want nothing to do with God wear the cross. It's on gravestones everywhere. I watch TV and movies and they use my Savior's name in vain, and I'm no longer moved by that. It's just kind of normal, you know? A couple of you are nodding. Do you ever think about how normalized mocking our God has become? And part of it is just because, you know, I mean, even if you're in a group of Christians and somebody says the name of the Lord in vain and somebody or makes a joke and somebody were to say, that's kind of offensive to me, everybody else is kind of lighten up, you know, just kind of lighten up. It kind of bothers me that I've kind of forgotten how awesome this thing is. I mean, I've I've forgotten what that woman felt as Abraham Lincoln handed her her freedom papers that said paid in full, and she's just looking at him going, are you kidding me? Where if this truly happened, he had to convince her and educate her on what it meant to be free. And I I think some, it's, it bothers me that I, I've, I've just come to the place where it's old news. Do you remember what you felt when you realized what Jesus had done for you? Some of you were saved as adults, and it's easier to remember that some of us grew up in the church. I remember in my last church, there was an older gentleman that I became close with. He did not grow up. I, my last church was an evangelical free church. It was obviously just like Carpenter's Way, but it wasn't Baptist. It was evangelical free. And this guy was jumping from a more traditional faith uh, tradition. And, and to be a member there, you had to do the same things as be a member here. You know, you'd go through the class, and then you'd sit with an elder, and we'd want to hear your testimony. And, and he sat with me one day, and he says, I'd really like to join and be in the leadership of the church, but yeah." I have a problem. And I said, what's that? And he goes, you know, you're want, you want me to make up a testimony. And I, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm that guy that grew up in the church, gave his life to Christ at the earliest age. I didn't even know when. And I walked with God most of my life. I mean, the, the, the truth is most of us can remember back to a time. If you were an adult, you remember how significant that time was. I've had quite a few of you actually tell me through the years that you're glad you didn't grow up in the church because it's still precious to you. You know what life is like outside of the church. Julie and I have had uh, uh, contact with some folks uh, recently that uh, don't have a relationship with the church. Man, life inside of the church body is great. Do you know that? When, when you're hurting, the family wraps their arms around you. Y- yeah, there's the stuff that people are critical of. And some of you are watching on the Internet every week because you will never don the door of a church again. And you are right. The church is full of hypocrites. That's why we gather to remind each other how great God is in light of how ungreat we are. You're right, you're going to get gossiped about and people are critical and everything else. But the truth is there is so much amazing stuff that happens within the body of Christ. We have God in common. We pray for each other. Uh, When there's a death in our family, we wrap our arms around each other. At weddings, we feed each other. We take care of each other. I just did the Watson wedding, and it was awesome to see all of Karen's friends come together in the mom squad, I think is what they called them. To decorate, you know, when you uh, the the uh, wedding coordinator told me that only one out of like ten weddings now are done in churches. You you now pay fifty billion dollars to rent a facility, and uh, I I'm exaggerating by about ten dollars, and and you 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 rent that facility, and and so what's really shocking is even when you pay the ten billion dollars, you get it two hours before to decorate. So you put teams together of people, and they decorated. And you know what was amazing about all these women I saw is all of them were believers. They had studied the Word together. They had raised their kids together. I watch on Facebook this last week as many of you fellowship with families and friends. There's something about the body of Christ. And and like 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 the cross, we have a tendency to look at just the negative, and we forget all the good stuff. There's so much good. But it takes me back to the fact that I was saved. Uh, I actually accepted Christ as my Savior 523 times by the time I was three years of age. Uh, I grew up in the church. My mom and dad were very involved. Uh, I, if you were to say, tell me your testimony, I would tell you of a time I kneeled by an old couch in the living room with my dad and I accepted Christ as my Savior. But I would then tell you that was the 7,000th time I had done it. I mean, I went to a church that told us we were going to hell. And every time that word was mentioned, I'd say, dear Jesus, save me. <laughs> I, I, I want, and, and, and so I, I latch on to that time because there is pressure to remember a time. But I was saved at a young age. What has been amazing in my testimony, though, is even as a pastor, I am fully aware of my sin nature. I am fully aware of what, what Paul talks about in Romans 7 when he says, a wretched man that I am, Why? Who's going to save me from this body of death? I'm I'm drug into feeding my flesh. And when I'm anxious, when I'm discouraged, when I'm depressed, when I'm scared, when things aren't feeling right inside, I default to sin. Now, don't leave me hanging. I'm not the only one in this room that does that. I default to sin. For a few moments, I want to forget this fear and all that stuff, and I'm afraid that God will let me down, so I indulge in my flesh. Because I forget the price he paid. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? It's so easy to be in the church every week, to grow up in the church, to spend your life learning the gospel and hearing about Jesus. And I, and I, I look, I, I'm fine with it all, but even our pageants sometimes, you know, we, we look at the Roman soldier and it's somebody in our church who's got thyroid issues and he's too big. And then we, we look at Jesus, who's a European figure that we put a wig on. You know, Jeff and I laugh uh, because most of us have been in churches that have had cantatas, and, and after Easter, at the end of the Easter pageant, if they're really good at it, they've got a lift that actually has Jesus floating up into heaven. And if you watch carefully, you can see the lift movement. There's a stop, and then it goes up. And we laugh, and we go, you acted so good after the pageant. We're not moved by the story. We're moved by the friends that are in the play because we've heard this story. 7,522 times. We've heard the story, and it's good news, but it's old news. As I was thinking about this, I, I came to realize that God knew that we would be, have a tendency to be like that. That's why He gave us communion. Um, it's called the Lord's Supper in some places. It's called the Eucharist in some faith traditions. But the truth is, it's a small piece of the Seder meal which the Jews celebrate together to remember the Passover. Boy, nobody was better at remembering stuff than the Jews because Jehovah God built that into their culture. They had seven festivals that they would celebrate regularly, annually to remind them of the goodness of God. Throughout the Old Testament, you have uh, one place after another where God meets with these people and does something supernatural. And then he instructs them to build a monument there so that when they walk by and their kids say, why is there a monument there? They say, this is where God led us across the Red Sea. This is where God did this. And, you know, in the Jewish culture, celebrating festivals, uh, the wine that is celebrated, uh, it's not about the food. It's about the God of the food. It's about the one who made the grape that, that made the wine. It's a celebration of God. It points them back to God. You know, we live in a culture in America, and especially I think I want to add Texas that's very self uh uh, self-fulfilling. I mean, our country was founded on on a desire to be self-led. That's a good thing. A democracy is a good thing. It's just not a biblical thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a government like that. I'm a fan of that. But the truth is, the Christian church, and it's even wrong, um, as we've as we've melded culture and politics and Christianity, there are many within the body of Christ, and probably some of you here, that think the biblical model of church is, uh, is congregational-led. That's not true. It's not true. The biblical model of church is elder oversight, deacon's oversight, and the flock. And it's actually a theocracy because the elder's job is to lead the church in the things that God wants to lead the church in. In the same way that King David's job was to make sure that God was king of Israel, as the king, that he listened to God and studied the Old Covenant, and he, 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 he led the people in that, it's the job of a church leadership to make sure that the senior pastor of that church's wishes are done, and I'm not talking about the lead pastor. I'm talking about Jehovah, the Good Shepherd. It's that—that's his job. That's their job. It's not to grow the church or make it bigger or faster or, or flashier or more relevant. It's simply to make sure that God, who is the senior pastor of every church, his wills are, will is fulfilled. We lose ourselves in that. We lose ourselves in that. It's uh it's something i want to share with you this morning because romans 12 tells us that in light of everything that god has done paul's saying now offer yourselves as a living sacrifice this is a familiar passage you know it but what does it really mean i mean i think a lot of us honestly and again i want to encourage you because the more i get to know you the more i watch you at operation christmas child the more i walk into the mosaic center and see a dozen of you there the more i walk into the pregnancy help center and see See, I, I went to the banquet this year, and five or six of you were serving there. The more, I, I mean, I watched Monday as uh, was you loaded the trucks. I've got a week back, that's why. <laughs> but as I watched you load the trucks, I watched men show up to do that. It's what we do. I watched people work. I watched, I, I watched many of you last week sit and wait for people to bring boxes. This week, we're going to, or in the next week or two, we'll have a funeral dinner for Johnny May's family. And Dolores will put that on the internet, and within four hours, it'll be filled because you'll feed people. It's what you do. I know you love God. I know that most of us in this room have even kind of given up on our fire for the Lord because we're ready to run and we don't know where to run. And every once in a while, you hear a pastor preach a message. That sounds something like, go tackle somebody in the name of Jesus and give them God. And you're, you're like, I'm gonna go tackle somebody. So we go to the mall and we tackle them, or we, we knock on doors. We, we, we want to, you want to serve the king. I know it. So when we read in light of all that he has done for you, offer yourselves and your bodies as a living sacrifice, we're ready. But the truth is we don't know what he wants from us. We don't know what that means because. We stop there, and the very next part actually answers this. This is really what I wanted to get to before community today. When you do this, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. But instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I remember in high school, I went to a Christian high school. I was part of a neck-deep in youth ministry. I remember that verse being taught out of context, and it was right after we were taught on this, that we all went out and burned our Eagles record. Oh, the money I could make if I had that record back. I remember Led Zeppelin being played backwards. You're not being transformed into your thinking. And remember Satan, Satan, remember all that? The backward masking era? A lot of, Christian, a lot of Christians went out and bought albums because of that. They wanted to hear it. But we were taught that. But, but this, is, this is right after he tells us That in light of what God has done, in light of the cross, in light of the gospel, in light of the being set free, he wants to offer us our bodies as a living sacrifice, but not in the way that the world does it. In fact, he answers it, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Paul is asking us to allow God to remake us into new people, not by our own will and power. This goes against everything those of us who grew up legalistic were taught. You see, what the world does to make you better is that their custom is self-actualization. Their custom is self-motivation. Their custom is to get you through personal willpower to say yes to Jesus, I'm ready to live for you, and I'm going to go tackle somebody at the mall in the name of Jesus Christ. It is... Always uh, a quandary for me, because uh, we like to shop. During the holiday season, we will go to large malls and small malls. and Now we have people in Fort Worth, so we'll go there. And <coughs> um, There are people from all over the globe who come during the holiday season to sell us stuff. And one of the places you will see, and sometimes they're in Lufkin, but they're usually not. They're usually in large malls. There is a, a Jewish group of sales folks who will come to the States, and they will sell Dead Sea salt and mud for your skin. And if you you know who I'm talking about? Because they tackle you mid-mall. And uh, they will talk to you about it. And it's always a quandary because behind it says Dead Sea from Israel. And you know, as a Christian, I'm drawn to that. And uh, I like to watch because every three out of ten people walk up and say, my Savior is a Jewish rabbi. (laughs) And they've heard that a hundred times. So they giggle along with you. But the fact is, We try to do so much stuff in our power. We try to manipulate. We try to to be better. We try to fix ourselves and we go, I'm doing this for God. When this text tells us that we need to be transformed into a new person by having God change the way we think, not by the way the world sees transformation. We have effectively married the world's design for business and growth with the church If we're more effective, if we give no toys away, if our stage show is better, if we entertain, they will come. And that may be true, but that's not what transforms. You see, what we have experienced at the moment of our salvation was supernatural. It was not religious. It was a supernatural transformation. And and let me tell you how difficult this is to wrap our minds around. And I I know you're having to stick with me because this is more devotional this morning. But but the, the thing that really got me to think about this was Solomon. Here's a guy that Scripture tells us loved God, but his heart was only half-hearted for God. And if you take time to really read through his story over and over, chapters 1 through 11 in 1 Kings, you begin to realize that the reason he did it in his flesh is because when God said, what do you want, Solomon, I'll give you anything, God gave him wisdom, and he started leaning on his wisdom. The very thing that God had supernaturally provided for him became a stumbling block. He figured out how to be a good king. In his own power. What happens when we figure out how to be good Christians in our own power? What happens when we take the gospel story itself because we're no longer moved by it and we try to sell it by lies? What does that mean, Pastor? It means we promise people better marriages if they accept Christ, which is not something promised in Scripture. In fact, Jesus said he brought a sword that it would divide families. If one goes with truth and the other doesn't want it, they walk away. We tell people that they will have a better job or God will bless them financially. None of that is proven in Scripture. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about a great cloud of witnesses to the faith that we live, and it talks about some who prosper, but others who are sawed in half, others who are, are burned at the stake for faithfulness to the king. If you read the news, you're hearing more and more where our brothers and sisters across the globe right now are persecuted for the kingdom. And we keep hoping that in America we're an exception to that. And we really do believe that we can save our country by our votes, by our self-will, by our hard work. And Paul in this text, if you slow your brain down, really emphasizes that he wants to change you into a new person, not by behavioral modification, but by changing the way you think, by your worldview, by how you perceive others. It's a transformation this time from the inside out, not the outside in. I want you to follow my thinking this morning. As a kid who grew up legalistic, whose flesh still still leans legalistic, this text is shocking to me. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, Paul prays this for the Ephesian believers. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will power you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down, uh, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then, then, after you do what he just said, when you begin to grasp the love of God, Then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. In this text, Paul does not pray for them to be good. He doesn't pray that they'll understand their sin nature more. He doesn't pray that they'll be cleaner or smarter or moral. He prays that they will know just how in love God is with them. In verse 19 again, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then Then, when you experience the love of Christ, then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. Then you'll know. It's not in becoming more religious or becoming more Christian or becoming more Baptist. It's not in becoming more Methodist. It's not in becoming smarter, better looking. It's not with a better job. All the things that we attribute a better life with, it's not in those things. It's when we begin to grasp just how in love with us God is. That's when transformation begins. In John 17, 3, this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. It's a personal relationship with God. That's how we know have eternal life. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses of this, to the life of faith, let us strip off the, every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And I remember growing up and being taught that. And my youth pastor would then teach me how to get rid of that sin, the things that tangles us up. He'd put a rope around his feet and say, "You've got to untie that rope. Come on, Mark, get rid of that rope. That rope is lust. That rope is is uh, is. It's stealing. It's gossip." That rope is is filling your mind with bad things. You've got to untangle that rope. And the problem is he never got to the next verse. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's how we do it. We don't do it by unroping ourselves. That's the problem with modern Christianity, is we keep doing stuff in our power, and it doesn't accomplish anything. When 70-some percent of people in our culture claim to be born-again believers, somewhere between 50 and 70 percent, my statistics... Fail me. But when a huge percentage of people in this country claim to be born-again believers, not just Christians, but born-againers, as they call us, when that huge percentage, and yet abortion is still the law of the land, something is disconnected. And and I don't care if you're left or right politically. Abortion is unacceptable. Killing a baby inside the womb is like killing a baby outside the womb, okay? I I, I know I don't get into this much. You shouldn't be surprised. We're a pro-life church. We believe God creates life, and it should be sustained until God takes it home. And the truth is, we got a moral quandary in our, co- in our country. When, when top shows can be all absolute debauchery, when we can tolerate the stuff, look, I'm not blaming Hollywood. It's our problem. You know how to get a show off TV? Don't watch it. It's as simple as that. You want Hollywood to change the movies? Don't watch the dumb stuff. You want to know why Hollywood is putting out more faith movies? They found out you'll spend money on them. I mean, the, the, the thing is, that we are transformed, we become that sacrifice when we keep our eyes on Jesus. You want to fight sin? Don't stare at sin, stare at Jesus. That's what this text says. It says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiate and perfects. We should change that word because it doesn't mean much in English. It has a different meaning. But it should be finishes our faith. Jesus Christ is our champion. That's why we keep our eyes on him. When I I struggle with my flesh, when I concede to my flesh, when I sin, the answer is Jesus not not sinning again. In in a legalistic church, you're told not to sin again. The problem is that puts your eyes on you. Work harder. Jesus Christ already did the work. It's done. When that woman is set free and Abraham Lincoln pays for her freedom, she doesn't go back to the slave market the next day. She's free. When Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus and they unwrapped him, he went to his sister's house to have dinner that night. He didn't go back in the tomb because he had been raised to life. And and the reason I do that is because I forget the great cost and great love God has for me. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to save you from hell. I don't care how many times you've been told that. He died on the cross to make you his kid, to adopt you. You are the kid of God. You may have had the loneliest Thanksgiving in the world, but you were not alone if you are his child. You were not alone. The king of the universe adores you, and you are his child. Well, then why does he let me hurt? The same reason he let his own son hurt. Because this is the life that we've been called to lead. And we are to offer ourselves in thankfulness of that as a living sacrifice. Apparently, if we realize just how in love with this God is, when we personally experience that love, when we remember the love he showed us in saving us, like the woman in the story of Mr. Lincoln, it drives us to him. I'm going to try something again. I, I tried last week. But I, I, I'm going to probably keep bringing it up because you got. I, I want you to get this, and I don't know how to explain it. So I'm going to keep trying, and your brains will take over. Saul was not a godly man. We all know that because of the mojo of teaching about Saul. But I want you to understand King Saul, the first king of Israel, was not a godly man. In fact, he wasn't even a good Jew. King Saul, if you go back, saw God in the same way that the Philistines saw Dagon, their God. He saw Jehovah. Whenever things were bad, he would ask his God, Jehovah, he would ask him to to give him his victory. Whatever it is Saul wanted, the only time he referenced God was when he wanted God. He did not have any kind of relationship with God. He didn't love God. He didn't care about God. Saul wanted to be like every other nation. This just happens to be our God of choice. Saul had no heart for God. Solomon, as I've already mentioned today, had a half heart for God. It tells us in 1 Kings chapter 3 that he actually loved God. But the problem was that Solomon was more of a Jew than a worshiper of God. Solomon was faithful to all things Jewish, but he depended on his jewishness to help him become a worshipper and when it came to personal things he leaned on his own understanding as we've been talking about but david david wasn't a jew david was a worshipper of god from the earliest days of his life out on the on the shepherds as a shepherd out on the hills he wrote songs of praise to the lord of creation you can read them there's a bunch of them in the psalms he writes songs of praise. Every experience in David's life didn't point him to Judaism, it pointed him to Jehovah. But David saw Judaism as the way to worship the right God. God invented Judaism, but he did not invent the Jewish religion for the purpose of introducing himself to the Jews. But having introduced himself to them, this was the way they were supposed to worship. Did that make sense? Let me bring it home a little bit. The reason that God created Christianity, the reason we gather as a church, is not to introduce you to God, but because you can't help yourself but gather with His children and sing songs of praise. Or that's what it should be. It's been changed. But the reason we gather is because the question should be, why wouldn't we gather? These are my people. This is my family. With all God has done for me, how could I not gather with His people and and talk about Him? We today, in my opinion, are more like Solomon than we are David. I'm going to ask a very loaded question. In the last month, if you hadn't attended church or a Bible study or listened to worship songs, how much of your thoughts would have been on God? That's a loaded question. You can ask me the same question. That determines whether my heart is with him or my heart is with the church, and then results in him. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the hard part. I I don't know how to explain. David seems to be obsessed with God, whether he's he's offering sacrifices, moving the Ark of the Covenant or not. God is his mainstay. Is God ours? David David took on Goliath, and, and the more I read this story, the more convinced I am. David wasn't a cocky kid going to his brother's, let's go cut that guy's head off. He was bewildered that anybody would think that God wouldn't defeat that guy. Because his questions to Saul, his questions to his brothers, his questions to the military were, what makes that guy think he can talk about the only living God and survive? There's no way. David, it was unfathomable that God wouldn't avenge himself. It it just wasn't. These these Jewish warriors saw Judaism as a pathway to victory with God, but they didn't think that God would fight. Goliath was an enemy of God to David. To the Jews, he was an enemy, enemy of the Jews. Those people out there, all those people, whoever those people are, they're not the enemy of Christianity. Those people that are putting our brothers and sisters in persecution and putting them to death, they're not our enemies. They're enemies of our dad. We shouldn't be taking it personal. Unless this is a team sport and it's Christianity against Islam. I think this is why God told Paul to pray not that we would become better Christians or that we would become more moral, but that we would begin to understand, even as impossible as it is to understand the depth of his love, just how in love with us he is, because that changes things. It changes everything. The woman wanted to go with Mr. Lincoln because she was aware of what he had done for her. And if he had bought her and set her free, then she could trust him with every other facet of her life. In fact, her life was better following that rich guy who bought her and set her free. Do we still believe that our life is better being owned by the king of the universe? Or are we kind of keeping our hands in both, both pots? Let me remind you of what God did for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It is with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless, spotless Lamb of God. Romans 6, 22 and 23. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. You now do the things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 7, 4 through 6. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You have died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with one. Who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused those evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God. Not in the old way of obeying the law. But in the new way of living in the Spirit. That's basically a precursor to Romans 12. It's not by obeying the law, okay, God, what do you want me to do? It's by God, lead me. Am I free? You're free. I can do anything I want. Mark, you can do anything you want and still be my child. Still be free. Then I want to go with you. It's a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior or customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, which is pleasing and perfect. Throughout the recent years, we've been watching Satan work a pattern through the Old Testament. This is how he works. Like with Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan gets our eyes off of what God has given us and places it on the one thing he hasn't given us. And he convinces our flesh that we need it rather than simply following God's lead and trusting him. We live frustrated because of it, disappointed, even depressed with our mind fixed on what we feel we need, what we feel we deserve rather than what we have been given as a gift. play that video It is hard to be thankful, because as Americans, and especially as Texans, we're always going to the next battle. You were built that way. You were raised that way. Americans don't take time to sit and look back, except for one day of the year, Thanksgiving. And yet, thankful lives is the instructions of the child of God in the New Testament, to live thankful lives. That's why God gave us communion. He gave us communion to remind us of his goodness and his faithfulness, then if we slow our brains down long enough, everything else he's given us. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for a country where people can tell each other off politically and not be shot for it. I know, I wish everybody shut up too, but you know what I mean. I'm thankful that we get to meet here this morning and not one of us were, were fearful of being arrested for it. I'm thankful that we had a bunch of people come last week and eat together and we enjoyed each other's fellowship. I'm thankful that I get to see most of you every week. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Somebody tell me something you're thankful for. Don't be shy, please. Just a family, living room. One thing you're thankful for. Huh? Worship without fear. Somebody else? Carpenter's Way. I'm thankful for an excellent pastor. Thankful for life. Thankful for life. What else are you thankful for? Coffee? Somebody said coffee. I'm thankful for coffee, too. He's thankful that he attempted suicide two days ago and you survived. God bless you, dude. God brought you here today. We're thankful, too. And you will be hugged 380 times this morning before you leave. God has a great plan for your life, brother. We're going to pray for you. What is your name? Justin. Lord Jesus. Thank you that Justin is here Thank you that you saved his life. Thank you that he sees that as a gift. Thank you that Satan is a liar and he will soon be bound forever. I pray that Justin will never be the same. Protect his heart and his thoughts from the lies. What else are you thankful for? Your wife. Somebody else? Grandbabies. That Jesus loves you. What else are you thankful for? That Thanksgiving only serves turkey once a year? We never eat turkey otherwise. Do you realize that all of those things that you're thankful for are only things to be thankful that are worthy of thanks because we don't have to worry about dying? If we weren't saved, that would be shallow. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we can be thankful for things like each other and a church, a local church, and, a, and, and, and life. There's hope for you, man. There's hope for you not just in this life, but the next. There's hope for us. We can be thankful for Turkey. We can be thankful for a car that runs. Because our real scary stuff has been taken care of on the cross. We forget that. We forget that. And so God gave us this. Gave us this to slow us down enough to be thankful for those things. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward as they prepare to serve you communion. As they come forward, look, I've heard it so many times. It's not just a Southern thing, but when people are looking for a church, I often hear, I want to be in a church that makes me feel conviction. That's code for I want to be beat up every Sunday. Look, oftentimes we go, okay, so, so what do I do with this? If God wants to renew us by changing the way we think, then the answer isn't going, okay, I'm going to start reading more books. The answer is asking God to change the way you think, okay? Even that's supernatural. The point of this morning's message is not to make you better, moral, more uh, attending better. Um, You can give more, but that's a different discussion. The point of this morning's message is for you to take that thing that God points out and instead of figuring out how to do it on your own, going, God, help me. Help me live thankful. Help me to be a living sacrifice. Change me. Because Paul's pleading, allow him to transform you by changing the way you think. Therefore, you can stop him. Give him permission. Give him permission to change the way you think. To show you that like Solomon, you've been leaning on your own understanding. He can change you and make you more like David. That makes you committed to God and as a result committed to his family. So we're going to pass out this bread right now, and I'm going to explain it to those of you who don't know. Why don't you go ahead and start passing it, gentlemen. Take it. And I want you to talk to God, family. Even if you're numb, would you just talk to your dad? Just talk to him. If you're new to this, if you're watching on the Internet, all this is is matzah bread. It's unleavened Jewish bread. Jesus... uh, did this with the disciples at the Passover meal right before his death. And he was letting them know that the Father sent him physically to be broken for us. Our uh, our salvation wasn't purchased cheaply. He didn't float down from heaven, die on the cross and float back up. He lived for 33 years. More on that in the coming few weeks. (laughs) It's Christmas. He lived for 33 years. He felt every pain, frustration, fear you feel. The book of Isaiah says that he was a a man of many sorrows. He gets it. The bread symbolizes that. No matter what your pain, no matter what your sin, no matter what your fear, Jesus Christ has felt all that, only he never sinned. So talk to him. If you don't know him today, today is the day of salvation. Confess with your mouth that he's Lord. I know you're God. And accept his offer to forgive your sin, the thing we're talking about today. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, accept his offer. How do I do that? Like a Christmas gift. I accept your offer. Forgive me for my sin. Thank you. Adopt me into your family, which was his unchanging plan. For those of us who have done that, don't forget how much he loves you. I often told uh, my kids that I, I I think I've mentioned this to you, it felt like in the churches that I grew up in that God loved people who were unsaved more than he loved saved people. We were a perpetual disappointment. That's a lie. That's a lie. God loves you as much today as the day before you were saved. Embrace his love. make it clear. Jesus did not cry, on the, die on the cross for Baptists. He didn't die on the cross for Methodists. He didn't die on the cross for Episcopalians. He died on the cross for gay people. He died on the cross for anyone who knew they needed to be saved. Enough blood was shed that day for every man, woman, and child. He preached to people who would reject him all the time. This isn't a religion. It's an invitation to know God personally. This bread, it's to remind us that he paid the price even as a man in his flesh. He watched his cousin be martyred. He watched his disciples deceive him. Nobody split his crowd more than Jesus. Nobody had a church leave him more than Jesus did. They were constantly leaving. It was a frustration of the disciples. He gets it. One of his best friends turned him in to be arrested and killed. He had a turncoat. You think you have a bad leadership team? His was worse gets it and the first part of communion is to remind us that he gets it on purpose because we have a high priest who understands our fears our frustrations and we sh- he deserves our life because of that Lord Jesus thank you thank you for not having a cheap salvation we'd have still been grateful had it been cheaper but you even understand us right now in this room there are people that are hurting There are people that are afraid. There are people that are tired, and you get all of those things. Lord Jesus, thank you that you understand. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and dying on the cross for us while we were yet sinners. Help us to grasp just how high and wide and deep and long your love for us is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's take in remembrance of him. Keep talking to God. For those of you who don't know Him, for those of you who may be watching on the internet, this is grape juice. I don't even think we buy the best brand of grape juice. It's grape juice. The reason we have grape juice is because it reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ. It wasn't his it wasn't his passion, his life that saved us, it was his death. The Scripture tells us that it is through the shedding of His blood that there was payment for our sin. He paid for your sin. First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became the sinfulness of Mark so that Mark could become the righteousness of God. So pay attention here. As you look at me today, I am as righteous as Jesus because of what He did on the cross. I know that sounds crazy, especially if you know me personally. But righteousness is not a behavioral change. It's a declaration from the judge who says, I have taken your sin and I have put it on him, the sinless sacrifice. Jesus on the cross was as sinful as Mark Wilkie. And I immediately, at the moment I accepted his offer to forgive my sin, became as righteous as Jesus. That is a remarkable fact. And if you have not experienced that, my friends, today is the day. Don't be stupid. Why would anybody want to go to hell? Why would anybody want to pay for their own sin? It makes no sense. There's not a religion in the world that tells you that God would pay for your sin except for biblical Christianity. And it's not a religion, it's a relationship. He paid for your adoption. Please, don't be a fool. Accept His gift. Family of God, we have forgotten how awesome this is. It's complete, we are free free to screw up our lives, free to be faithful to God. Paul pleads with us in our text today to be a living sacrifice by allowing him to change the way we think. Would you allow him to change the way you think right know the song she's playing? I'm gonna forget a few words in the middle, but can we sing it together when I survey? It's the first verse. We won't have the words on the screen, so sing loud if you know. Skip from verse 1 to 3. Either that or you were all wrong. Sometimes it's good to sit back and survey that cross, isn't it? Just to think on what God has done. It's so good. I know that some of you are scared because of medical stuff. What's the worst that can happen? You go home. I don't want to make light of your fear and pain. But we're all going home. Maybe you'll be sooner. But you've got hope. Oh commodity of the soul. Maybe you're wondering what's the purpose of life? The real purpose only comes from intimacy with God. Giving up what you think you know to receive what he does know. Trusting him when it looks like the path that he has for you is not the one you want to walk down. Making the decision that woman made with Abraham Lincoln. I don't know where this path leads and I could have run in the forest and hidden. But if you're willing to pay for my freedom, I'm willing to follow you anywhere. Lord Jesus, help us follow you anywhere. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's take and remember to him. I'm going to ask our elders to make their way to the doors. When we take communion together, um, we also take a benevolence offering that Sunday and that's to help with family members who may be having financial difficulty. You don't feel compelled to give just if you are able. Look, don't leave today committing yourself to being a better Christian. Leave today committing yourself to let God change the way you think. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. I love you. Have a wonderful rest of your day.